All right, let's talk nutrition. Natalie, why do you do like, okay, so I think we're going to like kind of pivot to like the right, like your right, focusing on riders and why you, um, why, why do you want to work with riders specifically? I know in your job, you focus on another aspect of nutrition, but mm-hmm. I kind of want to like le- glean the focus over to to rider nutrition. Why, why rider nutrition? Yeah. Why is it that you spend your, your time, your spare time actually, um, trying to help us and trying to make us better for our horses? Like what, what is it that fuels you? Yeah. Um, so I think I've always just been drawn to sports nutrition in general. And, um, I think as a rider myself, it just was a very natural, thing that I gravitated to specializing in. Um, And even just reflecting back on my own experiences as a working student and a writer in high school, I so did not nourish myself adequately. I definitely didn't give myself enough energy. Looking back, I definitely, um, what I struggled with disordered eating patterns that I didn't recognize to be that at the time. But, you know, I was, I, I just remember lunches being like, salads, hold the dressing, like very little carbs and having pretty low energy um, and kind of doing the, you know, under eating and then overeating thing and wondering what was wrong with me, but there was nothing wrong with me. It was my, you know, it was diet culture starting to creep in. And it was also um, just my literal biological um, response to, hey, you need more energy and you need more nutrition. So let's get it in somehow. And so um, fast forward to, you know, um, when I opened my private practice, I was living on the ranch um, that you and I, Laura, met at. Um, So I was living on that ranch. I was um, so and, and so that's when I really wanted to I, I was deep into riding again. I took a few years off in school to focus on school. I got back into it um, in grad school, and I just, I just gravitated toward that because of my own experience. And as I started working with riders, um, you know, to be honest, the first probably first like year or two years, I was doing the, you know repeating the same messages that we hear today, like riders are athletes, you fuel your horse, you need to fuel yourself, you need to treat yourself as an athlete. And um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that message. I think, unfortunately, that message has kind of gotten twisted and misinterpreted and diet culture has allowed itself to kind of creep in there unintentionally. So, you know, I had riders coming to me saying they needed to lose weight because a trainer told them. And so, you know, naturally, came to a dietitian or a nutritionist to help them lose weight and to do it through nutrition. And um, I found through pretty quickly through um, experience that uh, that just wasn't the answer. Um, that wasn't the answer to riders improving in the saddle. That wasn't the answer to becoming stronger, more physically fit, being a better rider. You mean uh, weight loss weight in loss. general? Yeah. Okay. And um, so – I really started to invest my time in training more in the intuitive eating side of nutrition, um, really um, establishing my um, or developing my knowledge base and growing it around eating disorders and disordered eating. And the more I started to recognize what riders were coming to me with and starting to look at the really kind of underpinnings of 
okay, you want to lose weight. Why do you want to lose weight? What's your motivation? More often than not, the motivation is for more energy, to feel stronger, to be a better rider, to be better for their horse. And so over time, I've noticed weight loss isn't the... um, it's not the answer. And so that just got me that much more invested into like, there is, I know this is a long winded answer to your question, but there's a lot of um, disordered eating, a lot of eating disorders, a lot of diet culture that has really infiltrated our sport. And so I've just become super passionate in um, trying to kind of go against the grain when it comes to nutrition and really address what seems to be a pretty big issue in our sport that really hasn't been addressed before. Um, and so again, a lot of that comes kind of circles back to my own experiences, um, as a rider and just helping riders truly, you know, do what they love to do and feel good doing it. So, um, yeah, I know that was a super long answer to your question, but that's, that's you're allowed to have long answers here. We, we like that. Yeah. Um, I think that's great. I mean, like the fact that you can bring your own experiences into your into helping people, I think that is probably the reason why people trust you to give those. You know, you have a professional background, but then you also have the personal experience that goes with it. So you understand what like trainers tell people mm-hmm. or how mes- that message can come across maybe sometimes so like you understand what these people hear and think and see because you are a rider and uh, I think that's really important I think that's you know you want someone to understand what you're going through whenever you're searching for really any advice or any guidance which is like that's kind of what you're doing is you're like trying to guide them into a healthier you know feeding their body in a more healthy way um Right. And definitely having an understanding of, um, you know, from both being a working student and working with professionals and also being uh, an adult amateur with having my job, my side hustle, and still wanting to be a very present horse owner um, and like wanting to be competitive. I understand the time limitations and like realistically, no, most people aren't going to have time to, you know, prepare meals that take, you know, however long to, to cook. And so how can we just really practically fuel ourselves as riders? And how can I help you do that in a way that's um, scientifically sound and that's realistic for each individual and addressing their, you know, each individual's preferences and schedules and things like that. So, uh, okay. yeah. Okay. So um, what do you love most about working with riders like what's your like if you could just pick one thing you don't get to pick all the things you get to pick one um what do I love most about working with riders I think just the oh that's a tough question we can circle back if you want because the other one's easier than no, that's, that's okay I've, I've thought about that but now I'm like really thinking about it because it's like a job interview like you said right so I mean it <laughs> I told you at the earlier to like make us hire you. So I know. Um, I really think just the the passion that riders have and the motivation that they have for wanting to better themselves for their horse, but also helping them um, want to better themselves for themselves, yeah. uh, and like combining that together. Um, and just I the riding community, it's 
it's a small world, like you mentioned, and it's just, you know, I love talking about horse stuff too in it and like learning about the riders as riders. Like, tell me about yourself as, you know, like I love hearing about the horses and the types of horses and the riding and the competition. And um, so I don't know, I guess it's really kind of everything, but. So you picked all the answers. I pick, I pick all of the above. Okay. Got it. Got it. <laughs> I, you might've got that question. Correct. I'll check the, the, the key. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so this this question's a lot easier, I think, <laughs> given your profession. But uh, what are your some of your biggest challenges uh, when working with riders specifically? Yes. Yeah. Um, probably the one of the one of the biggest ones is the amount of misinformation that is circulated on social media online in blogs, um, from both, um, you know, well-meaning health professionals who, um, may not be quite as, um, aware of the science behind nutrition, um, but also, um, aware of the amount of like disordered eating that's around in our sport. Um, and just the amount of like, along with that, um, you know, the, uh, unsolicited advice that tends to be given to riders that is often inaccurate advice and, um, is often unwanted. But, um, I would definitely say that's probably one of the biggest challenges because a lot of what I do is interpret the research and the science and do it in a way that is not sensationalized and it's not sexy and I'm not promoting, you know, the most exciting fad diet or supplement or whatever it may be. So my recommendations may not always be as exciting. Um, and so trying to, um, kind of trying to work around that and trying to, um, I think, uh, we could work together, the three of us and maybe make it sexy. Um, yeah, (laughs) I can make anything exciting. I really yeah. can. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we could do like an intuitive eating uh, TikTok uh, yeah. or something. I don't have a TikTok. It's fine. Don't do it. Neither does Laura. <laughs> I do have one. What? It's a problem. We're dinosaurs. What are you doing? You're out of the dinosaur club. Me, hey, I made a couple. <laughs> pretty. My favorite one is the. Oh, I don't think I can say this. Okay, never mind. Cut that. Um, <laughs> We're so good at this. I'm just saying we can make anything sexy. You okay. just got to talk a little bit differently. And uh, you know. <laughs> oh sorry, God. this microphone is really getting to me. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, oh, maybe this, maybe this mostly gone glass <laughs> one. Okay. Anywho. Um. That is a great segue. Uh, let's get controversial. All right. Woo. My favorite. Jen's in now. She's like, let's dial it in. Yeah. yeah. Also, I just want to point out that Jen is wearing her Peace, Love, and Carl freaking Cook uh, sweatshirt from Wit Equestrian. And yes. uh, we're not sponsored, but we would gladly like to be a sponsor just kidding absolutely okay i want i want i want a suds and a buzz in my backyard at all times i offered to send her a margarita candle 
just for her to do like product placement for me and take pictures of my margarita candle next to her pool with her two miniatures. Perfect. Yeah. Tell her, tell her we like those sweatshirts and we would gladly take donations. I'm planning to go to Vegas this year and find him wearing that sweatshirt and get a photo. Because I have a photo of me in Vegas with him next to me at the bar, but it was like a creepy photo (laughs) where like my friend (laughs) took the photo. (laughs) Sorry, we're getting sidetracked. (laughs) Nutrition, but uh, (laughs) nutrition, Carl Cook. But my friend like took the photo of like, and he was like behind me, and I was like, ah, thumbs up, Carl Cook. That's amazing. Um, so I have plans for Vegas this year, and they involve Carl Cook in a sweatshirt. So. To be fair, it's not that big of a sidetrack because he does cook a lot, and he cooks a lot yeah, of right. good – like I follow him on Instagram. He cooks a lot of like really good things, and I may – Also be, gardens. I may right? be jumping own- again. What? Oh, yeah, I think it- so. It looks like it. But like he is cooking food that's like – in an intuitive way, like the way that I try to get my clients to eat and to enjoy food, like it's cool to see big riders actually, you know, showing this is what a healthy like relationship with food can look like when it comes to like these quote unquote, you know, non, there's no diety, you know, talk. It's just, this is good food and this is what I'm making and it's pretty cool. Okay. So full circle how to make it sexy carl cook <laughs> done yeah okay done, done. done. eat your yep. pretty vegetables carl cook style <laughs> <laughs> all right i think we just did it guys uh, <laughs> yeah. we just gotta well our people will get a hold of his people and uh we'll see what we could do why <laughs> why doesn't he have a spinoff of like cooking with carl cook like is it just too easy? Because I really no, like I think that's a fantastic idea. Right, we need to get a hold of this man. I think that needs to be that needs to be a thing. Okay, sure. so <laughs> back to back to the controversy. <laughs> um, well, let's first. I think I before we get real controversial, let's talk about intuitive eating because that is the basis of what you that your whole approach to nutrition, right? So I would like to you to explain that to us and then we can kind of from there show the differences mm-hmm. and the controversial things and how that differs from what you're actually trying to accomplish with people and nutrition. So you know, explain intuitive eating. Oh, go You ahead. know, Laura, that's like a pretty loaded thing because, I mean, I just finished 12 weeks with her and it's I'll really put it not, in like 30 it's seconds. Not go. that simple. Thank you. Thank you have exactly two minutes of time. Thanks. <laughs> so, okay. In a nutshell, um, a, a big nutshell, because I, okay. So, um, intuitive eating. So not a pistachio shell. No, no. like a, the biggest nut in a shell, that shell yes. we're going in. Yes, yes exactly. A peanut shell. No, those are oh, small too. Oh, are they small? What about a little, like a what is walnut? Those are bigger. Nut. Oh, she's googling it. Hello, Natalie. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> I love it. This is amazing. 
Okay. In, in a nutshell, we'll figure out which nutshell that is here soon, but go ahead. The world's largest and heaviest nut is the Coco de Mar. A coconut? Coco de Mar. No, it's not coconut, but, but it's called the Coco de Mar. In the Coco de Mer nutshell. The world's largest nut. <laughs> intuitive eating. So intuitive eating, it's a self, it's a it's a self-care approach to eating and to nutrition. So if you could think of it consist as something that consists three things, um, you have the intuitive aspect to it, you have the emotional aspect, and you have the rational thought aspect. So I think when people think of intuitive eating, they think, oh, hunger, fullness diet, just eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. Um, But it's so much more nuanced nuanced than that. And while listening to your hunger cues, listening to your body's fullness and satiety cues are really important and are absolutely, you know, components to intuitive eating, those are just two two components of them. And those aren't things that we can always rely on as athletes. And so that's where the rational thought comes in that, all right, I have a morning class. I'm nervous. I don't feel like eating anything. I can't feel hunger, but I know I need, yeah, but I know I need energy. I know I need to eat, even though I don't, I can't rely on my hunger right now. So what can I have that is still going to give my body energy that's going to make me feel good and is going to do the job? Um, So that's the rational thought. And then you have the emotional side. And unfortunately, diet culture um, tried to, you know, disconnect emotion from eating, but eating is very much an emotional thing. It's meant to be pleasurable. It's meant to be enjoyable. It's meant to be social. Um, And so it's, you know, recognizing that that is an important piece to eating that we shouldn't try to disconnect, but we should look at in a way that's going to serve us best and make us, you know, feel our best when we're eating. So those are kind of the three components of intuitive eating. Um, It's based off of 10 principles. So I mentioned hunger fullness. Those are two of the 10, which just shows how nuanced it really is. Um, And to give kind of the biggest, you know, overview the goal is to essentially turn down the volume on external factors that are driving your your eating um, and turning up that volume on the internal cues that are guiding your eating so that you are able to really be able to tap in and tune into yourself to tell you when to eat, how to eat, why to eat, what to eat. Um, and so again, it, it becomes a lot more nuanced, but um, that in that nutshell is, is what intuitive eating is. Gotcha. Jen, do you have any comments? I think my, my comment is it almost boiled my blood. How quickly Laura just said, gotcha at the end of it. And I was like, no, Laura, you don't get it. I'm fully, no, I got it. It's been 12 weeks and I don't get it. Um, no intuitive eating, like exactly how she explained it. Um, I, had an interest in it because over the last couple of years, as I've moved into um, a more mindful living kind of mantra and kind of taking a step back and really thinking about my instinctual thoughts and where those thoughts creep from and et cetera, um, that's kind of where it came from for me is um, 
You know, we're just kind of, we're so ingrained that you wake up, you have this breakfast cereal, you pour milk in it, and every meal has to have a protein and a vegetable and a carb and that you need to eat three meals a day and all of that. And so for me, it was kind of really wanting to rebel against a lot of that and get to the bottom of, well, what do I actually need? What are these food rules? Where is this policing coming from, et cetera? And honestly, every single week when we met, there was more and more and more. It is a multi-tiered, multi-layered cake that um, it's absolutely fascinating in every and all way. And I love science. So granted, I will honestly gravitate towards this kind of thing. Um, And I took, you know, part of my degree requires a certain level of nutrition to it. Um, we definitely had to go over the Krebs cycle again, which I was hoping I would never have to look at the Krebs cycle again. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And the rap song is all I can play in my head. Um, cause that's how I had to learn it anyway. But intuitive eating is just absolutely remarkable. And there are so many levels to it from, and I'll obviously I'll let Natalie explain it more, but some of the things that I just thought were just incredible was enjoying the color of your food and enjoying the texture of your food. And there's a component of it that is enjoying being with the company in which you would eat the food with. Um, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, most cultures like are like most cultures, food is a major part of the culture, you know? So I, I think that that all makes sense, right? You know, you're supposed to gather with the people that you want to be around. And in a lot of other cultures, a lot of European cultures and a lot of different cultures, like it's for a long period of time that you eat as well. In America, we eat for 30 minutes and we leave and we go. But, you know, I know just from experience when I went to Italy, for example, it was like a three hour event and it was you know, course after course after course, but it's not all happening mm-hmm. like one after the other after the, it's, you know, it's a, it's an experience and this is what they do every evening. And then they're all chatting and they're all enjoying each other's company. So there's, there's a lot of good that's supposed to be there that I think that America just like <laughs> took out all the good stuff and was like, nah, yeah, <laughs> you know, we'll keep, we'll keep the carbs, but we don't want the company. Right. Well, and so much of it too, like a lot of what you're describing is the actual, like so much of intuitive eating revolves around satisfaction and how satisfied you feel with the food that you're eating. And if you look at diet culture, a lot of that is revolved around like macros and like restricting restricting and you know eating within certain time periods and ignoring when you want to eat and all of that takes you away from really being able to listen to your body and be able to give your body what it's truly asking for um and our culture and our societies created stress around food. So now not only is there, you know, this dissatisfaction that often comes with eating, especially after maybe dieting or restricting for so long, but when you do eat food that you might have normally enjoyed years ago before you started dieting or before you started restricting or thinking of food in a moral way, being like good or bad, um, now you're stressed around those foods that you, you know, once enjoyed or could enjoy. And, you know, that stress, that psychological stress can actually 
um, you know, can actually increase cortisol levels and it can impact physical health. And I mean, I know like this is where it just gets so multi-layered that nutrition, it's not just like, oh, eat your fruits and vegetables and like count your macros and whatever. Like we're not calculators. We're we're humans that, like you said, are we have so much of our, you know, culture and tradition that really is grounded and established in food. And diet culture has taken us further and further away from that and made it more challenging to really be able to reach a level of satisfaction that would promote both, you know, physical health, mental health, and just enjoying the food, whatever it is, without judgment, without stress. And that's that's really the goal of intuitive eating is to be able to get back to that point because we're all we're all born to you know eat that way when we're toddlers and when we're kids we don't think about macros and foods as good and bad we just eat what we want and we enjoy it and we move on and um, we get pulled away from that unfortunately um, you know as we get older and social media is just making that happen earlier on for so many kids now um, and so it's really. Um, it's, it's really just getting back to, you know, listening to what your body wants and enjoying the food and, and doing it in a healthy way. Um, and a lot of, unfortunately, um, a lot of the, the intuitive eating messages has gotten diluted again into it being, oh, it's just a hunger fullness diet or, which isn't true. It's not a diet, um, (laughs) that, or that, oh, well, if you can eat whatever you want, then, you know that's not healthy because then we're, you're just disregarding, you know, physical health. And the very last principle is honoring your health with gentle nutrition. And I talk about how we can use that for, um, you know, sports and performance nutrition too, but we can't consistently and sustainably make food choices that are going to impact our health and our performance long-term if we can't address all of the potential underlying things that, ultimately impact those food choices. And so, you know, it's really doing the work and addressing all of those underlying things so that, you know, you can make food choices that do promote health, that do promote um, like both physical and mental health, that do promote, um, are, are able to be used as a sports and performance nutrition tool, but again, sustainably and without any stress attached to it. So yeah, it's, there's a lot of new to it. I mean, like listening to you explain that, it's like, sounds like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like the, none of that doesn't make sense to me. That's a lot of it in yeah. general. Like it's, it's just saying something that makes sense, but you don't think about it until it's said like that. Right. Like it, it makes sense to be able to say there is no bad food. Like a bagel isn't bad for you. It, it's a bagel. It doesn't have right. A characteristic to it. The bagel didn't wake up and choose violence. Right, exactly. <laughs> or, or you know, or the cake or whatever. And so a lot of it is very much like, aha. Uh-huh. You're like, okay, yeah, that that makes sense. Duh. But that's just the like, that's just the start of it. It's one thing for it to make sense and for it to not sound complicated. Um, it's another to then actually not believe that the bagel is bad and that you're a bad person right. for eating right. the bagel. Right. And that's where that's, cult- all that's those our layers. culture, like, yeah, getting those external factors, like, yeah, coming at you <laughs> real hard, exactly. saying, Mm-mm. well, I mean, it doesn't sound like your job is very easy, to be honest. Um, Ooh, no, and uh, I know a certain celebrity that makes your job even less easy. <laughs> oh, <yes>. uh, <laughs> 
So uh, let's get recently, Natalie's blood boiling instead yeah, we're gonna, of Jenny's. We're going to find the real Natalie here. Okay. So uh, recently, I think, what, a month or two ago? I can't remember when it happened because we were texting about it. But um, She knows. She has it on her calendar. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow uh, came out with a book and she titled it Intuitive Fasting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that that's a smack in the face to your intuitive eating, I'm sure. So there's that, the fact that that even came out and that that happened, but it was also released during National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, which is not much more of just salt on the wound. Yep. Yeah. Did not read the room. Nope. Yeah. So yes, intuitive fasting that. So where do we even begin with this? You can't intuitively fast because you are literally going away from what your body is asking you. And so it, it basically combines um, intermittent fasting and co-ops intuitive eating and combines those two words because those are like probably two those of the words. Yeah. Yeah. Those are two of the most popular things right now. Um, so I keep talking about diet culture, but Um, We think of dieting, or at least like our generation thinks of dieting as like traditional diets, like the Atkins diet or Weight Watchers or um, the South Beach, like all of those, you know, different diets that have the word diet to them. And um, research continues to show that dieting doesn't actually work. And dieting is actually the number one predictor for future weight gain. Um, And So as more and more research is coming out, as more just, you know, people who've subscribed to diets have learned and recognized, okay, this is my, you know, fifth, sixth, tenth attempt plus at this diet or, you know, that didn't work. So I'm going to try this. Well, that didn't work. Diets don't work. And if they did, there wouldn't be so many of them and they wouldn't be as unsuccessful as they were or as they are. And they wouldn't set people up to, you know, gain more weight, not that gaining weight or that weight is a bad thing. Um, but just, you know, thinking of it from the, the sense that the goal of these diets tends to be weight loss and people get set up for failure in that way. And they take, they they typically like these diets are kind of set up to like you, you, the goal for the person going into the diet is to lose weight, which Mm -hmm. is its own issue. And then they lose 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds when a short period of time is mm-hmm. like, it seems to me like these are set up this way. And then it's not sustainable because you're restricting or because you're saying you can't have this ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely, are, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, not sustainable. right. And part of that is absolutely the psychological side that gets tapped in of like wanting to rebel against like actually, I do want that. Part of it is also physiological. And um, the so um, metabolism slows down. And there, I mean, there are a number of studies. Um, I don't know if you guys can like link them, but for anyone who's actually interested in studies, I, I'd be happy to share some. Um, I'll definitely link people to your profile, like on Instagram, okay. so that they can get all the information they want from, from your very awesome. informative Instagram profile. Well, thank you. But um, yeah, I mean, you have the 
you have the psychological side that's impacted. You also have the physiological side. So metabolism slows down for years after dieting. Hunger hormones start to get thrown off. Um, and you just start to think about food more. All of these things. And so what that can tend to do is cause weight gain and then rebound, you know, this rebound weight gain and then more weight gain. So people think, oh, shoot. Well, it worked the first time and that was the hook, right? It worked the right. first time. I just need to try it again and I need to be better this time. I need more willpower. Suddenly it's not about the diet. It's about the person and it becomes right. a very personal thing and it's this becomes a struggle. So people have started to realize dieting doesn't work. Diet, um, uh, like different dieting, I don't not companies, but like different diets have recognized, oh, people aren't like as interested anymore. Intuitive eating has really started to pick up steam. As it should. As it totally should. Um, And along with that, um, certain diets such as Weight Watchers have started to kind of rebrand themselves and call themselves like lifestyle or, you know, they don't use the word diet anymore because people don't want to diet. Noom is one that I will continue. I was just going to ask you about that. Okay. Cause I was like, I've seen those ads. I get those targeted ads. And like, I mean, from like, it looks good, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, Oh, if I just work on my brain, it'll be better. And like, but I also heard from you yep. that it's very dangerous. So I, yeah, I, I still get targeted for Noom and my job is to literally tell people not like to stop. So it's pervasive. And I tried to, I like logged on to it and pretended to be interested just to see like, okay, yeah. if somebody is, if somebody is um, subscribing, to it. It. yeah, what are they getting? I've, I've tried all the diets. Literally all of them, um, you would have a hard time listing a single diet that I haven't tried. I've been on diets my entire life, and I did Noom. And um, wow, it was absolutely terrible. Yeah, because it's based off a stoplight system. So like you can eat these foods that are in red, these foods that are in yellow, like eat in moderation. Or sorry, you can't eat these foods in red, yellow moderation, green is a go. Yep. And when you really look at it, it's literally just like anything else. They set a calorie goal that is way too low for any grown person, let alone an athlete. The foods that are restricted are oftentimes going to be the foods that really athletes need more of. Like we're riders, we need we're athletes, we need more energy than the general population. Also, sorry, I'm totally sidetracking. We are dealing with thousand plus pound animals, like we need to get as much energy and you know nutrition as we can to help us you know, really be able to be as effective as possible, both in and out of the saddle. And so by dropping somebody's calorie needs that low and asking someone to follow it is just setting them up for failure and is setting, it's setting them up for a really dangerous situation too, um, for a number of different reasons that we can get more into. I'll try not to go on too many tangents, but um, yes. So Noom tries to market themselves as this non-diet approach it very much is a diet. It's it's rooted in restriction. Anything that a encourages weight loss or says that weight loss is an outcome and is a goal, anything that um, it tells you that certain foods are off limits or that you need to limit certain foods or you know not eat enough of for X Y or Z, um, those are red flags that this may not be 
sold to you as a diet, but it is very much a diet. And with intuitive fasting, um, again, they co-opted intuitive eating. They took intermittent fasting. Both are hugely popular right now. Combine the two. Um, and it is you can't fast intuitively um, unless it's for, of course, a cultural reason, unless it's for, uh, you know, you need to get bl blood work done and it's for a medical reason. Like there are specific well, situations. Those two things. I mean, so medical reason, obviously you're going to get tests or, you right. know, that's a medical reason, a cultural reason. It's not for weight loss. Like th exactly. that is, that right. is a, you know, almost like a ritual or like something that you do culturally every year. That's not because you're trying to lose weight. That's right. part of like who you are and who your, your culture is. So like those two things mm -hmm. I think are completely separate than hi, you need to starve yourself because that's how you lose weight. Right. And proponents of intuitive. So I, I do have to say, I am very, just my approach to nutrition and like interpreting nutrition science in general, I will never like immediately knock something before I do my due diligence and actually look and interpret the, like look at the research myself and intuitive eating, um, or I'm sorry, um, intermittent fasting. Um, so, you know, in a nutshell, that is periods of uh, you know, the alternate between fasting and eating and proponents of it will say, oh, well, it encourages, you know, cell death of like bad cells in the body. It helps to um, it. Th there's all these like, oh, it could do X, Y and Z. Um, however, um, if you actually look at the studies, a lot of the studies that are cited and talked about, they tend to be done in animals that can't be translated to people, um, or they're done in people for short periods of time. And again, the sustainability of it, we keep bringing up, like how sustainable is that? And in thinking of intuitive eating, where you're really trying to get in tune with your body's hunger fullness cues, um, fasting just takes you away from that. Because anytime you're ignoring hunger, anytime you're um, in it, whether it's intentional or unintentional, it's just going to make it more and more difficult to be able to tap into that nuanced hunger. Um, and ultimately, you're going to feel that extreme hunger uh, more than, oh, I'm starting to get hungry. Let this be a pleasant experience than this really ravenous feeling of hunger. Absolutely. I remember um, when very early on, we started talking about listening to that cue. And, and it's still 12 weeks later, even it's not there. It's there sometimes. But when you spend 10, 20 years ignoring those little voices, those cues, um, they go away. And they will inevitably come back. But it doesn't happen overnight. And so, yeah, spending a long period of time fasting and I've, I've done intermittent fasting for years, intentionally and unintentionally to myself. And honestly, what it resulted in is a metabolism that barely works. Mm -hmm. I, it, and so therefore, no matter kind of what I do, I still really struggle with all of that. So it, yeah, I, <laughs> And let alone for athletes, um, it is hard enough to meet your body's energy needs, especially whether you're a professional rider or an adult amateur that is literally running from 
work to, you know, errands to the barn, it's hard to fit in your body's energy and nutritional needs in the day. And then if you are further cutting that potential fueling window short, it's going to be really challenging and you're just going to set yourself up for, um, you're just going to set yourself up for potentially developing something called REDS, uh, relative energy deficiency in sport. Um, and that is basically um, a result of not taking in as much energy as your body needs, especially compared to the amount of energy that is going out from physical activity, from just you know, sitting, sleeping, working, like the total amount of energy that your body needs. Um, and that's going to negatively impact performance. It's going to negatively impact health. Um, and again, by cutting that fueling window short, you are just setting the stage to make it really difficult to meet your body's energy needs. Um, and then of course, you know, that can lead to overeating because your body is just literally craving the energy that it, it really desperately needs. And so it's, just not a good situation. I uh, I think I remember the, the first time I heard of intermittent fasting, I thought to myself, holy moly, like no one, like, I'm sorry, I like food. I mean, so does everybody. But like, I, I, ain't nobody gonna tell me that I can't eat. Like, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I understand so- I don't have the same you know, I don't have the same relationship with food that, that some other people do, but you know, I have tried certain diets before and like, I, I never stay on them because I just can't be told what I can and cannot be doing as far as eating is concerned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a very like low tolerance for being told you can't have this. You can't have like the restricting thing doesn't go over well with me. I can do it for about a week and I'm just like middle fingers up. I'm going to eat that cake. <laughs> to be uh, fair, in a rebel with most people. I, I just don't know how you um, convinced an entire population of people to, 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 the, to starve themselves for periods of time. Like that's marketing like genius Mm -hmm. diet the whole diet industry i mean it's like a 70 plus billion dollar industry yeah they then you you get the medical providers on board promoting the same stuff and yeah Yeah. no it's it's a never-ending cycle or you got the like the the afternoon tv shows that like you know they they talk about it and it's always oh, saw you saw it on this uh popular tv show so it must be like legit no like this is capitalism like yeah. it's like someone paid someone else to put that on there it's not because it actually works it's because someone paid someone to do it right yeah and it's man if i it's not it's meant to have repeat customers like it's meant to right. people right to keep them. We want you to fail. And then that's a whole psychological part to it as well, because Mm -hmm. you just keep failing diets and And then it's your fault. It's your fault. And you don't have self-control and then shots fired. You get people saying things like the best exercise for your horse is to put your fork down. And, um, it just continues to perpetuate. Yeah. I will fight anyone who comes after anyone else about their physical appearance I will it's fight still you. happening every day and without naming names and it almost I would hope almost won't be relevant by the time this episode launches but 
we are still seeing it all the time. Unsolicited diet advice from people who claim to be professionals who are not. Their credentials were attempted to be verified and are non-existent. Just being mean. There, because there is, you're not helping anyone. You're really not. And we're getting off track, and that's going to be a great part for later. But oh my goodness, we're almost there. I, the one I did <laughs> want to not- touch on. So, like, I mean, the, I wanted to touch on before we touched on the controversy that uh, Jen is referring to. Um, so that's kind of like diet culture as a whole, kind of for a, adults. I think the intuitive fasting and the in, in, intermittent fasting are kind of targeted towards adults, um, and you know. It's different argument um, to be made for like adults making their own decisions or whatever. But like, I have a a big problem with like these things that are targeted to the like the younger generation. And specifically in riding, we have this whole EQ diet thing. So I wonder, Natalie, if you could touch we on that, that a little bit. Ek. Laura, we call that oh. ek. I'm sorry. Sometimes I spell it and sometimes I say it. Is it? No. I mean, I didn't realize there was a standard. I There's thought a we standard did standard and it's ek. No one knows what an EQ is. Um, <laughs> ek. You have, yes. It, yes. I've heard, I've heard about, I'm I want sorry. Natalie to talk about the ek diet. Yeah, and then recently, you. thankfully I'm an adult, so this isn't really something I hear about anymore. There's apparently a hunter diet, which is oh, even worse. What? Yep. Why? Of the hunter diet is Is it for the horses? Because I, I think I support that. Sub 800 calories daily. Why? What? Yep. Yep. Okay, let's talk about the ek yeah the ek diet and the hunter diet <clears throat> so i don't think natalie's heard of the hunter diet because she is um she's it was, a shocked, it was new to me as well shocked face about Ugh. her yeah. um also so let's talk about the ek diet and like kind of like how that is detrimental to our children yeah so um i my understanding of the ek diet um i used to think it was just one type of diet, and I'm not going to get into specifics for the sake of, I don't want to trigger anybody um, who may have experienced it or um, that would find this triggering. But um, in I used to think it was a very specific diet. However, in my experience with working with different riders, um, I have had a number of clients that have tried the ECK diet, and their description of it is all a little bit different. But um, it's rooted in essentially like heavy, heavy, heavy restriction in order to maintain a physical appearance that is, um, you know, considered to be kind of this ideal in the EC world, um, specifically in like the A circuit um, EC world. And um, just really consists of a lot of unhealthy um, eating behaviors, significantly under eating, um, trying to or intentionally um, avoid listening to hunger cues um, and again, doing it to maintain this or trying to achieve this appearance that again is considered to be an ideal that these riders think the judges are looking for and think will that by looking a certain way, they will place higher, they'll place a certain way. And it is just Unfortunately, a lot of riders have that do this are teenagers, 
And so not is this just impacting um, overall health. This would be really detrimental for anybody, whether, you know, an adult, um, but for teenagers, especially, and for, you know, for kids that I've worked with kids as young as 11 who have started doing this. And I mean, these are, yeah, I mean, these are extremely important years that they are developing, that they're growing, their brains are still growing, their bodies are growing. By not giving the body the energy that it needs, by not giving the brain the energy and the nutrition that it needs, you are stunting and impacting growth, um, development, both physical and mental development. And, um, you know, all in the name of trying to look a certain way. Um, And I mentioned um, REDS, the relative energy deficiency in sport. Um, And so just to further give a little bit more of an understanding of what that is, um, it impacts both uh, physical and um, physical health and athletic performance. And it results in uh, what we know of as kind of traditionally the female athlete triad. Um, So having not enough energy intake, um, having loss of menstruation and um, osteopenia or osteoporosis and increasing um, you know, fracture and bone, bone break, um, risk that is, that is part of REDS. REDS has then been expanded because it also results in decreased concentration, decreased strength, decreased, um, uh, decreased endurance, increased anxiety, increased irritability. None of these things are going to actually help you in the saddle. And if you think about like, we're not just doing, a low risk sport. We are in a high risk, extreme sport, right? Equitation, you are jumping, you are hurtling a thousand plus pound animal over these huge jumps to limit your nutritional intake in the name of trying to achieve a specific appearance and, you know, physique for a score is really increasing just it's just a safety risk. And because these riders are also not doing it for maybe a day or a weekend, this is a diet that people go on for long periods of time. And especially for kids that are going around and showing in the A circuit that are traveling to shows, they are trying to maintain this low energy intake, this, um, you know, really nutritional deficiency for a very long period of time. Um, And metabolism and things like that aside, I mean, you are reducing strength, you are reducing endurance, you're increasing, um, you know, anxiety, you're making it more difficult to concentrate. Again, like the potential risk is just compounded on an already risky sport. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that answers the question, but it's, um, it's a lot more nuanced than I initially um, really understood it to be, um, especially mm-hmm. after working with so many people who, ex- who, um, try different, I guess, variations of it. Do you find that like when you are working with clients who have done or tried this, this, uh, diet, if you will, um, is like, are there parents telling them that they need to do this? Are like, are adults perpetuating this or are they like, I'm wondering what in your experience, and this is obviously anecdotal, but like, where are they getting the idea that this is what they need to do? Is it in their peer group or? 
I think a big part of it does come from the fact that, um, you know, maybe one of the writers on like a show team might be doing something and um, they then tell their friend who, you know, suddenly then their whole show team's doing it and it just becomes normalized. It doesn't become something that's problematic because it's also not something that's necessarily talked about with parents. There are some parents too that um, of kids that I've worked with um, and young adults and adults who've, you know, told me stories of when they were children that uh, or teenagers, um, you know, that their behaviors may have been seen as like healthier because they're choosing quote unquote healthy foods. They're choosing, you know, they're eating salads. Right. They're, they're, so um, the severity of it is often hidden and masked. Um, I, fortunately, I haven't come across anyone whose trainers have recommended it, although I have worked with plenty of people and heard plenty of stories whose trainers have recommended weight loss for the sake of their horse, which is complete, you know, BS, um, like complete BS. And so I can see that perpetuating, oh, I need to try something. Oh, I saw this on for, you know, like, I don't want to say older generation because like we're not old, but like the Tumblr, you know, a lot of people have seen it on like Tumblr. And so that started on like social media, but it definitely becomes something that's normalized within show teams and within peer groups that then no one is necessarily seeing as an issue. So it doesn't, it flies under the radar and doesn't get addressed. And riding is a very unique sport as we know that, nutrition um nutrition is starting to become more of a of a thing but there are no dietitians on show teams right Right. like the nba the nfl like they have team dietitians you don't have that in our sport um and so you don't have people you don't have athletic trainers you don't have people that are screening for disordered eating behaviors and so it just allows these diets and disordered eating behaviors to perpetuate um, and, again, kind of fly under the radar until somebody gets really hurt, somebody develops an eating disorder. Like there's, it's, I think, a lot bigger of an issue than we actually know. Right. And I mean, I would love to see like a dietitian on like the intercollegiate teams and stuff like that. Like I would love to see, or just like coaches more informed mm-hmm. on the fact that this this sport takes more than just the riding of the horse you know so like there are two athletes involved like by the time you get to college I mean the the mindsets are that's it's already been instilled that's true I mean you, they're starting this stuff with these kids nine eight nine ten years old I mean I was I was on my I was on my first diet by the time I was nine I can tell you how much I weighed like it's it gets started really, really early. And then, of course, whether you're pro it or con it, we live in a country that doesn't require any kind of formal training whatsoever to label yourself as a trainer. So you don't need to have a class in nutrition or know, need to know how to communicate with children or you know really any of that. And then, honestly, even if you did, science changes, mentality changes. So you have to be able to keep people current on the newest information. And it's, um, it's all really bad. Um, I didn't know about these things because Laura and myself, we both started as adult riders. 
So I was never a child that had a coach that told me to do any of these things. So for me, it was just a quick Google search. I mean, I literally just typed in Google these words and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Um, it'll tell you how long to do it, exactly what to, it's awful. It's literally just calorie restriction, which is all mm -hmm. intermittent fasting is. When you really get down to the bottom of it, all it is is cutting the amount of calories you can have down in a day, whether it's by saying you have to meet this number or it's saying you can only do it between these hours. It's right. all still restriction. It's what literally the foundation of every single diet is, no matter how much they want to say it isn't. If there is any form of restriction, if there is any, you know, labeling food as good or bad, or maybe don't eat so much of this one and saying that in a nice way, like that is all just going to trigger, you know, it, yep. none of that is, is actually intuitive. None of that is actually, um, helpful for really most people. And yeah, I mean, and the egg diet is like really significant restriction for a long period of time. Yeah. And yeah. Un unfortunately, um, we do have a sport where our teammate is an animal that we ride. And so people, that that's the first thing that trainers will often make a comment. Is, our horses. Right, right. And by restricting food intake and by decreasing strength, by decreasing endurance, like that's also going to impact balance. And yeah. that is doing far more damage to the, the decision person. making and, and the like, decision making yeah, split second decision making, right. which is absolutely crucial to this sport. No matter what sport you do, you absolutely need to be able to make a decision immediately yeah. or you're already too late. Well, right. and we wouldn't like, you know, go to a show like prep for a big final and like reduce our horse's feed. Right. Right. Like, why would we do that to ourselves? Mm -hmm. Like it's, there are two athletes involved here. Yeah. Help me understand why Hunter Chunk in a horse is okay. Is, is considered good. Two thumbs yeah. up and yeah. Hunter Chunk in a rider is considered not okay. Yeah. What? This is a it's scam. so hypocritical. I should have been a horse. <laughs> I mean, it's that's literally diet culture perpetuating. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, um, sports that are more like aesthetically based, they tend to have higher risk of eating disorders. Yeah, like figure skating. Yeah. You know. And equitation and hunters, like that absolutely falls into that kind of aesthetic sport because it that may not be a criteria, you know, when the judge, like blatantly when the judges are judging, but at the end of the day, like, unfortunately I've, I've had riders who have literally had judges say like, if you weighed X or if you looked this way, you would have been judged better no matter how good their horse did, no matter right. how well their round was. And that right. it's all about, it's all about the picture that you paint. Yeah. And I mean, you can be 103 pounds, but if it's not uh, distributed the way the judge likes it distributed, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. And that's not to that's not to knock judges. That's not to say that that's everybody. Yeah, right. But that's very this is very much a paradigm that and um, that's been created in our sport that uh, really we have to move away from. And, right. and I, it only takes it only takes one judge. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of harp on this a lot. It's probably one of my favorite um, 
controversial things. Like if if every rider tomorrow in Hunters decided to wear a maroon jacket, we could all wear maroon jackets. Mm-hmm. Yep. The fact that like one judge didn't like it. And so everyone out of fear of not pinning because the judge didn't like their colored jacket, like we eliminated freedom of choice. We eliminated a lot of things. So we continue to do things that don't make us happy, even though it's our money, it's our sport. But it, there's always that fear that the one judge, you know, right. So that's where that's what helps perpetuate this diet is there might be one judge out there who prefers X weight. And because you don't know if that's the judge you're going to end up with, you just blanket statement it and then everyone does it. Yeah. And then it perpetuates over because you have the older trainers that remember that older judge that did it that one time and, 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 and. And I have to say too, that we don't hear, and I may be wrong and part of this is just the, the, the client base that I work with, but also we don't hear these messages targeted toward men. They're very much targeted toward women. And oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. look at the Only male women. riders. The male riders at the top of our sport, if you yeah. actually looked at their Have weight. A belly. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like that it no, it's not about the weight. It's how balanced of a rider you are. It's how fit you are, how yeah. effective you are. Those those things are not related to the number on the scale. How soft are your hands? All of these things. And Exactly. Like that number, the number on the scale literally tells us what grab, it tells us that there's gravity or it tells us what a gravitational pull is. It doesn't tell us, you know, our, it doesn't tell us how we're feeling, our strength levels, our mood, our energy. And those things are all so, so important that like it's there, there's just way too much of an, an emphasis on a number that can fluctuate for a number of different reasons, but also that don't define or that doesn't define health, that doesn't define physical fitness, but that our medical field, our sport, like way too many people have given that number way too much power. And that's a huge issue. I know when I first reached out to you quite a long time ago, before we even like, before the small group things were even kind of in, in motion, but um, like one of one of the things, one of the big triggers that hit me was, which I'm not even sure if we should talk about triggers, but I, I approached you because I had seen an ad for a horse and on the ad it said, rider must weigh under 150 pounds. Oof. And this was a 16.2 hand horse with no disclosed medical issues on the ad. Maybe there was something that wasn't being said and that's how it was being said. But like that was hugely triggering because, because, and I mean, I just were like, wait a minute, is that really where we're at now? Is that a rider must weigh under 150 pounds to be on an able-bodied adult horse? Like what is even, and I'm like, who came up with that number? Mm-hmm. What science is that based on? What percentage like in that bothered me? It mm-hmm. bothered me so much here I am a couple of years later still talking about it. Because I don't think I quite, I think that's when the stigma of weight and horses like really reared its ugly head for me is when I saw that. I mean, that's pretty, like, I've never seen anything like that in a horse ad before. And it it would definitely like strike me as what the 
F. Cause yeah. why, uh, why, okay. You just picked a number. Cool. And no, and no one else like in the ad, like we're make no one else seemed to be no as bothered anything. about it. No, no one seemed bothered about it except for me. And I messaged Natalie about it. And I was like, and it prompted this long phone call. I mean, she had to talk me off the cliff. Like it was really triggering. Yeah. And she didn't even know me back then, but man, it was, I just remember being like, is this a thing? Like, am I, am I an awful yeah. person? And that's, ugh. no, you're not, you're not an awful person <laughs> Yeah, in some ways, but not that one. <laughs> um, so maybe another trigger. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about health policing and, uh, we have a very specific, uh, thing that happened that we're going to reference and I have permission to do so. Um, but what was it last a couple weeks back um, from the time of this recording, um, the little equestrian on Instagram has a pretty huge following. She has, I think 30, 30,000 followers and uh, she's what 11 or 12, 11. Yeah. And she's in Florida. Um Someone decided to comment on a photo of this child jumping her adorably cute horse over a moderately sized fence and decided to tell her that she should read a specific book because it was how uh, she could stay healthier for her horse. How she be- you know? how she could become fit enough. Yes. For so her that her her horse wouldn't be uncomfortable. Yes. Um, and I will say, I went a little. I I went into fighter mode. Laura, like we we I, I got all, angry. We all did. Um, I got I, very, will, I got very much involved within that as well. Yeah, and I will say so. Um, Jen and I both, um, you know, chat with. Uh, her her mother who runs the account you know uh, yes. with relative frequency so Danielle gave me permission to talk about this specific issue because she thinks it's important um, but you know the mom runs that account what if what if that wasn't the case what if that was a child who posted a fun photo of her and her pony doing something really cool and logged on to see a comment that said like you're not good enough your body is not good enough and you are hurting your hurting your horse you're hurting your partner this animal that and granted even as adults we all love our horses but the love of an 11 year old with her horse is an extra level and it's a grown adult parading as a medical professional which disclosure she's not uh, I already debunked that one pretty stink within 24 hours. That was debunked. Right. Um, but, a, but a person claiming to be a medical provider who claimed her background to be in horses and eating disorders, children, yeah. right. Um, telling this child who is absolutely appropriate weight in any, in, in always, she's Correct. perfectly normal looking in always, um, riding her perfectly normal sized horse. Yep. There, and it was, and, and under the veil of like, this is for your health. This, like this I'm doing this for your horse. Yes. Right. 
and if and, you, and if you read this book and follow this diet, you will reduce the stress and the impact on your horse's life, and that will make you a better person and a better partner for your horse. And I believe it was also um, the comment was also uh, aimed at. Um, coming from a sense of caring for the rider's health. And I mean, my job is literally to focus on nutrition and, um, you know, how eating patterns and behaviors and all of that can impact health, can prevent, um, you know, the onset of disease, can help manage disease, things like that. Um, I strongly believe even that being my profession, it is not my place to comment on another person's appearance. I am more than happy to have that discussion if somebody, a client comes to me and wants to talk about body image, wants to open that conversation in a safe space. I will never be the one to say, hey, I think that doing this is going to benefit that. Part of that is also just because of the research that's out there that Especially publicly. Especially publicly, especially to a child that is still growing that like, so, um, yeah, it's, it's disturbing because it's just one, it's one, it just takes one comment to really impact viral. Yeah. Yes. And I can tell you it spiraled me and we talked about that a lot and I'm still struggling in that spiral. Like I got knocked off my high horse. We were at week 10 or 11 of our 12-week program, and I had made a lot of progress, and I was super, super happy. And we're at almost a month later, and I'm still spiraling. And I'm in multiple um, groups of like, you know, Instagram groups with other equestrians. And the, the comments about diets and new exercises and just skyrocketed. Everyone was talking about how they looked again. And I mean, it's just, and I will also say like most of our listeners by now have kind of figured this out, but a real riding instructor, a real trainer who's being paid to train doesn't give out their advice for free on Instagram. A real medical provider doesn't give away their advice for free. Now they may like post some things that are positive, but they don't go on to somebody's page and just solicit that advice, mainly from a medical standpoint because of malpractice. Like we are not going to do that. Um, and, and a trainer isn't going to give that service away for free. So first off, if anyone is offering you unsolicited advice, they're not a professional. They're, yep. they're just not. Um, but the, the ripple effect of that one person's comment on one picture, on one person's account, I have seen firsthand and lived firsthand the ramifications and the consequences of one person's comment. Right. I, um, I, I know I posted something on my story about it, and um, I had several people DM me and say, that that the situation was triggering for them and that, you know, they, they, you know, had disordered eating when they're younger and that this really brought things back for them and that, you know, 
other people saying that their coaches were like, you know, proponents of them losing weight when they were younger and that, you know, it, it just, and that's just me, little old me. I, I don't have a huge Instagram following and I probably had 10 people reach out to me and that's crazy. Yeah. That, 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 that it, it just goes to show how harmful those types of words can be when quote unquote, it was coming from a good place. No, it wasn't. Like, no, it, it never was. No. And all you have to say to that little girl is great job. You're doing great. You, there is no room to comment anything like that and, and say it's from a good place because that's just, that's BS. <laughs> I'm so proud of you for saying BS and not what you normally say, Laura. Definitely <laughs> not having to leave that out. I censored myself. Although when I was talking to Danielle uh, in chats about this whole situation, there were lots of swear words <laughs> flying. Um, yeah. I mean, Danielle, Danielle has every intention of taking this all the way to Yusuf. And and I back should. her in that. She should. Um, I, I played a role in verifying that person's credentialing. Um, there are, there is more things that are going, that are in, that are in the works regarding a lot of that because monsters like that need to be stopped. Yeah. Frankly. I mean, I think at the end of the day too, um, like as small as the riding community is, there are so many riders and all of us get into this for the love of the sport for the most part. Like we all get into it because we love horses. It's our, you know, maybe escape from life. It's our hobby or sport that is, you know, um, that we're super passionate about. And um, we draw these emotional attachments and connections with these animals. And of course, we want to do everything that we can. And so somebody making a comment that is, you know, unsolicited, that is, you know, quote unquote, coming from a place of, you know, caring or whatever, like we just want to enjoy our horses and any, every single person who gets into the sport should have access without judgment to be able to enjoy their horses. And, um, you know, just the, the body shaming and weight stigma that surrounds our sport makes it, I mean, I've, I've spoken with riders who've gotten out of their sport and who've left for years because they felt like they were bullied out of it, or they felt like because of the comments that they received, they were harming their horse or that the sport wasn't for them because of the way that they looked. And how sad is that? Like this sport that we all love so, so, so much And so this really, like, I say this all the time, but this really needs to be a whole, like, this really does have to be a whole movement away from, like, just stop talking about people's bodies. Stop commenting on people's bodies. Focus on, if you want somebody to be a better rider, if you're a trainer and you want your, 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 you know, rider to get better, how can they improve their physical fitness? What, you know, who, who can you send them to, to, if, if they identify, oh, maybe I do want to, you know, work on creating, um, healthy eating habits. Like that is not your place. I was in school for eight plus years, like, and I'm still learning every day. Like, and it is still not my place to give my unsolicited advice, send them to somebody and, um, just, you know, like make sure that, 
the horse is the right fit for them. Maybe the horse is a little bit too strong or too much horse for where somebody is in their point in their riding. Like if you're a rider, are you with the trainer that you, you know, want to be with? Are you at, like, there's so many moving parts that just focusing on weight and appearance is lazy and it's dangerous and it never does anybody any good. So it's just, you know, and, and nobody, sh- oh my goodness, no one should comment on anybody's appearance, let alone a child. Like, oh my gosh. I know. So yeah, that was definitely such a distressing, like, I mean, I, I think I almost, I always send Laura like super uh, <laughs> heated <laughs> texts and this was one of them because this is just, oh my goodness, two and 11. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was glad to see you hop on the, the, thread which I know you don't generally get Instagram controversial but um I was glad to see you hop on the thread just from a professional's perspective and just be like hey guys like this is inappropriate and like you know it was is I only had swear words to say and you had like a very nice like professional like way of saying everything um so it was it honestly was really nice to see someone who was a professional address the situation so I actually like in in the medical community we most of the medical providers that I work with are very good at recognizing our limitations I am excellent at managing infectious diseases I'm not excellent at cardiovascular health anymore I mean I could there's things I remember I could administer CPR absolutely like there are basics but at some point you go hey you know what let me put you with a cardiologist that's going to be able to better help you because they're up to date on the newest medications and XYZ right this is how all of that needs to be like if you don't know and you feel like honestly no like if you don't know, just keep your mouth shut, period. That's honestly what I'm really getting at. But um, let the professionals handle it. Right. You're it's not just a like, professional. You know, we have we have someone who just does our horse's feet. Like yep. We hire someone just for their feet. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of veterinarians are primarily dentists. You, I have not found a lot of people who are a vet and a dentist. Mm-hmm. I mean, other right. than Yes, they have to be a vet to be a dentist, but right. they right. do dentistry. They specialize in right. They dentistry. don't come out and do a lameness exam on your horse. Right. They do teeth. There's a right. reason for specialization. And nutrition is a specialty. Yes. Even within nutrition, just like, you know, just like what you do, Jen, like there are dietitians that like I won't do I I really don't feel comfortable with like renal disease, like kidney, kidney stuff, um, in like a clinical setting. Um, can I, yeah. Like, can I spend a lot of time and like brush up my skills? Cause I was trained in it. Yes. Um, but sports nutrition is my area of expertise. And so, you know, there's, there's sports nutrition and then there's sports dietitians that are, they don't want anything to do with disordered eating or eating disorders. And so they refer those people and athletes who come to them to dietitians that do specialize in that. And, you know, so even with nutrition, like, yes, food is 
food, but it also, when you think of it from, you know, a medical or even just like a physiological standpoint, you really have to pick, like understand what's going on in the body in across different conditions, both medically and a healthy person. And then, and then in athletes and actually with dietitians, you can't even sit for um, an additional board exam that allows you to be specialized in sports nutrition until you've been a dietitian for two years. So even wow. after all of that schooling, oh, wow. sitting for the board exam, you need to like be a dietitian practicing for two years, have a ton of practice hours, sit for another board exam. Because there's a lot that could go wrong with sports nutrition without understanding the metabolism and just the way that the body changes and the way that the, you know, body functions change in an athlete. And um, so I'm actually like, I'm getting ready to, um, to sit for that board exam um, sooner than later. But uh, there's just, I mean, people don't really actually recognize that and realize that. So yes, like nutrition is a specialty, but then there's like specialties within specialties. And right. so to what you're saying, absolutely. Like go to the person that has the training, that has the experience um, so that you can get your money's worth, but also so that you are doing, you know, getting your recommendations and advice from as safe of a standpoint and effective as a standpoint as possible. Um, that's my 10 like 50 cents on that. Okay. I mean, it, it absolutely <laughs> makes sense. I mean, there there's a backyard trainer and then there's a trainer that has, that's been vetted, you know, honestly. Right. Um, no, it's a, it's a brilliant way to think about it. I actually, I think I didn't know that. And I think that's really interesting also from a standpoint of, you know, as somebody who, you know, textbook medicine and practice medicine are two very, very different things. I can tell you how my textbook tells me how to treat an infection, and then I can tell you what I actually do because I've seen it work, because I've seen that the textbook maybe doesn't necessarily work or it may work for that textbook patient, but it doesn't work for everyone. And so I think that's that's brilliant that you're actually required to go out there and practice and put your theory into practice and see and see how it works and if it works before you're kind of allowed to go even more specialized. Um, yeah. I think that's great. I, I love that a lot. Yeah. And nutrition is one of those things too, that becomes super like rigid recommendations become very rigid. Um, like it, so many of the recommendations really are for some people, it's super simple, honestly, but for others, like we talked about earlier uh, on in this, like you're dealing with a lot of this psycho, like a lot of the psychology that comes with it. So, with certain clients, I won't, I won't proceed to work with them unless there is a therapist on board for certain people, and we are approaching it because my scope only goes so far, and I can address certain things. But there are certain things that I'm not going to touch because there's people who can do it better, and also it's not within my scope. So, you know. Um, but well, I love that though. It's like know know your role, like stay in right, your lane, like, right? Like that's just what I was you saying. Know what like you know what you know. Cardiovascular and infectious disease. Like, right. yeah, I know it, but I'm you're I'm not the person you want managing that. Like, yeah. and and the cardiologist refers people over to me to you know when I when it's an infection that needs to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. We know our roles. We stay, and I hate to say stay in our lane, but there's an area that we're passionate about. So we stay up to date. So we stay on top of it. We read, we read, we research, 
we change our minds as new information is presented to us. Um, you know, yeah. yeah. It's always so, like, and this is, this is a comment that I left on, on the little equestrians page, like your advice, it's never warranted. It's never welcomed. It's never helpful. I guarantee it. No matter if in some weird demented way you think that you're being helpful, you're not because that no one's interested in what you have to say. They're really not. It's never helpful. It's never kind. It's never warranted. It's never necessary. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, Danielle is the mom. I've never actually, yes. yeah, yeah. I've chatted with her a little bit back and forth after that whole thing happened. But um, I remember she did a post like right after that basically said, unless you're the child's or anybody's healthcare provider. Yeah. And again, even then, you know, if, if you want to come and talk to me about X, Y, or Z, absolutely. This is a safe space to talk about it. Let's do that. Um, but, you know, still respecting boundaries and that if somebody is coming to me for, oh, I want to be a better writer. All right, let's make you, let's use nutrition to make you a better writer. And, you know, let's debunk maybe some of the misinformation that you've heard. And um, one being that appearance is associated with writing ability and focus on actual health promoting behaviors. But like providing unsolicited advice, even within a, and the, I mean, this may rub some healthcare providers the wrong way. Um, but, you know, providing like me providing a recommendation of, oh, you should do X, Y, and Z to look this way. That's not going to help. And I have worked with so many patients and clients that have experienced weight stigma from healthcare providers because they came to them for knee pain, for back pain, for something else. And they're looking for actual help. They're not looking for something that, you know, just continue to perpetuate this weight stigma. So I think it goes across the board from, you know, commenting on social media, blogs, uh, whatever, in person to even just within somebody's office, like unless someone wants to talk about that. Um, and that I know can be an unpopular opinion for a lot of healthcare providers or if any healthcare providers are listening, but, um, you know, weight, medical weight stigma or weight stigma from a medical setting is very much a thing and something that a lot of my patients and clients have had to deal with. And so that needs to be addressed too. Like this is just such, there's so many layers to it and there's just so much that, um, so much that needs to be addressed. Like a lot of undoing just from a societal standpoint that has very much like creeped into our sport and has like stayed there and taken residence, unfortunately. Well, I think like, you know, it leads me to like the, what can we do? kind of question and 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 so what we can do is we can keep talking about it and we can keep supporting our fellow riders and you know I think that we need to stand up for um you know body inclusivity in our sport and you know try to make sure that we hold our companies accountable that they're making we're making sure that we have size in inclusivity you know just even with like breaches and like you know, everything, like we need to hold our whole industry accountable for making this a welcoming place for everyone, mm -hmm. everyone, whatever they look like, how like, that we just need to hold that accountability 
to a higher standard. And we also need to just keep talking about it. And so that's kind of one of the reasons why we wanted to have you is, you know, you you said a lot of stuff today that I didn't know. So that means that someone else out there doesn't know and they're going to listen and they're going to hear something that they learned. And all we can all we can do is try to educate, try to keep talking about it and make sure that we're spreading correct information and supporting people and making sure that our industry hopefully, you know, gets on board, know better and do better. Yes, do better. We all have to do better. better. We all made mistakes. And, but as we continue to grow and learn, we can stop making those mistakes and we can move forward or we can continue to perpetuate the same mistake over and over and over again. And then the sport doesn't grow. Right. And ultimately it shuts down. It internalizes, it falls apart. And I don't even know what this world would be like without horses, but I don't want to be a part of it. Nope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a part of that world either. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Nope. I neither. <laughs> yeah. I think really just, Um, a lot of people might not even realize this is an issue. Um, and so just becoming aware and like you said, continuing to have the conversations and, and having the tough conversations, like, you know, um, and just answering questions and clearing up misinformation. And, um, it's, it's not easy. Uh, and it's very much going against the grain with, within our sport and within society. But I think if we really want, like you said, people to, if we want the sport to grow, if we want it to be more inclusive, this is a conversation we absolutely have to be having. Um, so I'm very thankful that you guys have opened, opened the door for this conversation, um, at least in this podcast. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I think uh, we're going to probably wrap up here, but I want um, to give our listeners uh, your information. So what is the best way that people can either access your content or get a hold of you? Uh, like how can people find you? Yeah. So probably, um, uh, Instagram, like through the messenger is, um, an easy place. Um, and my people are welcome to email me as well. So I don't know if, um, how would that work? Um, but when, we'll, when link, we post, we'll link your contact. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When um, we post the episode, we'll, uh, we'll link your Instagram. Yeah. So Instagram um, or email would be, uh, both be the best ways to get in touch with me. Okay. Perfect. So yeah. we will, when we post this episode, we'll tag you and make sure that people have your contact information and they can get a hold of you that way. And, um, I'll just say it out loud so people who aren't on Instagram, I guess. Well, everyone's on Instagram. Well, everyone's on Instagram. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's at the dot equestrian dot dietitian. Natalie. I'm wanting to say dot com after that. I know. Is there another dot it's, in there? It's, no. it's literally great. Um, I have been bothering Natalie for a long time, even before I became one of her clients. <laughs> um, and it honestly started with small stuff where I would send her an account and I'm like, is this perpetuating a diet? Or what are your thoughts about this? Because from a medical provider to a medical provider standpoint, she knows more than I do. 
but I know that she'll present the information to me in a way that clicks with me as well. Like here, day one, she was absolutely prepared with all of these really wonderful published studies. And that that that's what my brain listens and responds to is that because that's how I've been trained. I want to see it. I want to see the evidence-based medicine. I want to see the research. I want so tell it um, to me in science. It's science. <laughs> science. It's science. It's science to me. <laughs> it's science to me. Um, no, it's it's honestly been wonderful. Um, I do truly hope that this episode wasn't triggering for anyone. Um, if you do feel triggered, absolutely, all three of us are safe safe spaces to come and talk to for sure. Um, and I, I like I strongly strongly stand behind that. Um, the purpose of this episode was to open the discussion and to keep the discussion going, yeah, because we need to do better as equestrians, as people, as, and personally as medical providers, we need to be doing better mm-hmm. as trainers. None of us are trainers. We couldn't be adult Amis if we were. But, <laughs> but, 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 um, that's really what it's about. It's doing the right thing. It's letting go of those old mindsets, those old, old mentalities that were never based on science. They were never <laughs> researched. Nope. We have to let that garbage go. Yep. And I, and I don't even – I'm trying not to like throw my mom under the bus. My mom is not educated in medicine in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I remember being young and her saying, well, don't eat carbs. Carbs will make you tired. And so before I would take like a big test at school, no carbs because carbs will make you sleepy and you don't want to fall asleep during the test. And then actually learning about nutrition and going, wow, it is the exact opposite. Carbs are necessary for energy. But yeah. that's all it takes. All it takes is just not knowing that. Yeah, and that's your then, mom. Like, you're going to listen to your mom. Absolutely. Like, duh. Absolutely. Right? And, and at, Yeah. And at the end of the day, no one's intention, you would hope, is to do harm. Like, in medicine, right. in, like, do no harm. And so that that is no one's intention. And so a lot of it, I think, is just, um, you know, with science, it's constantly evolving. Um, nutrition is still very much in its early stages. Um, it's in its infancy compared to so many other types of sciences that it's important to take the research and incorporate it, but also to, you know, remember we're not working with rats. We're not working within, you know, the confines of a lab. We're working with people. And so, you know, that's where the clinical judgment piece comes in and, you know, um, really individualizing everything for everybody. And, um, you know, so the, that recommendation from your mom, for example, was probably very well advised. Like she wants you to do well on that exam, but but at the end of the day, the brain's primary source of preferred source of fuel is glucose, which comes from carbs. And so, yeah, um, a lot of, Again, there is just, and that brings us back to like the very beginning of like, I said it's the thing that I really dislike and is the biggest challenge with my job is misinformation. But it also in a way is something that I love about my job because I have the opportunity to help provide the, you know, accurate advice and to debunk some of the misinformation out there. And hopefully like if one person gets anything from it, like that 
that makes me happy and I've done my job. So it's, it's a love hate thing, the misinformation that's out there. Um, yeah. So that's quite literally the, the whole, (laughs) the whole basis behind season three was kind of debunking a lot of these common misconceptions or myths or, you know, things things that we don't know very much. Yeah. Things that we just don't know very much about or misinformation is what's more easily obtained than real information. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us as hosts have make, make made it our mission for this season to really, truly get our research, to reach out to professionals and experts in that area so that whatever information we continue to spread is the most accurate and up to date at the time of the recording in the, the just oh so triggered <laughs> ah, ah. um all right well um jen do you have more to say i mean i always have a lot to say <laughs> i just wanted to make sure i wasn't cutting you off i just uh, well so one one like little last part um if you have the capability to do it and it's something that interests you natalie's small group on intuitive eating was absolutely monumental and life-changing um like we said earlier like laura kind of mentioned in a lot of ways it's very much yeah well duh or yeah no that makes sense but it's still different it's still unwrapping so many different layers of things that we've just done because we've always done stay away from soda. I mean, it's just, it's all of these things and intuitive eating on the surface sounds really simple. Feed yourself the things that your body wants and needs and will help you perform. But if it was that simple, there it, it would be out of a job. This wouldn't be an issue. We wouldn't have had an episode. Uh, there wouldn't be a $70 billion, you know, diet industry. There is, we have moved so far away from the foundation of things that it's, it's a hard struggle upstream to get back to it. Um, the, the the aha moments, the glimmers of hope, the wins along the way, um, they're just unlike anything. Um, uh, they're just, they're, just, they're, they're literally just amazing. Yeah. Um, that's literally my discussion. I'm, yeah, I know. I like to, I'm, I'm matching my sweater, which is pink. No, that's, that's literally why I do it. And, um, so thank you for, for sharing and saying that. And um, you were wonderful to have in the group, but it's, um, you know, it's food should be enjoyable and it should be fueling and nourishing and um, getting back to that can be hard, but, you know, your proof <laughs> that it's possible, right? It so is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but thank you for sharing that. Yes. Her program is set up to not necessarily need to be repeated. Um, but I just really felt like I have spent, well, without aging myself, let's say I've spent more than two decades training myself in all the wrong ways that 12 weeks 
was enough to give me the tools I needed, um, but I still need more reinforcement. And so I elected to come back a second round and I'm literally looking forward to We only had like two weeks off and I already miss it. Um, <laughs> I'm ready. Natalie, um, just, she, she just can't get enough of you, Natalie. I just can't. I just can't. I need, I loved sessions <laughs> and I love sharing about it. So I like, I get it. It's not even my job, but when you find something that clicks that you love, like all horse people, we become so passionate about something that we love and we think like super worked this is this is the future absolutely i want it to be the future me too <laughs> let's Our make sport, it happen sports make it happen absolutely thank you so much natalie for spending your time with us tonight and for giving us some insight into the wonderful world of nutrition from a professional's perspective we know that we have so much work to do on this topic in our sport and we will continue to keep working on making our sport more accessible and healthy for everyone. Thanks so much for listening and tuning in. And then I don't know what the rest, all that stuff. Those things about she'll the... Just, she'll just fade out now. Thank you, Natalie. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> and I didn't talk about the Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina That's it for this week's episode of Horsebroke Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, leave us a review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss a beat. Welcome back to Horsebrook Podcast Season 3, Tell Me Everything. This season, we're putting the obsessed back into horse-obsessed and diving deeper into some, in our opinion, lesser-known equestrian topics. So grab an adult beverage and quench your thirst for knowledge. You are what you eat. On this week's episode, we dive into nutrition of the human variety with our guest, Natalie Gavi from at the.equestrian.dietitian on Instagram. We also have your Horsebroke podcast crew here, Jen, mother of two, Joey and CJ, and myself, Laura, mother of dragon, Lily. Mother Just of double-digit dragon, Lily. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Newsflash, she turned 10. Okay. Woo-hoo. No big deal. We're just uh, approaching adulthood. So, welcome, Natalie. We are very excited to have you on the podcast. Yes. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, I think... First off, let's let's get to know you a little bit. So I kind of want to go over how both Jen and I know you, um, aside from like, we're not strangers right now. So um, I know you in actual real life. What? Oh my God. We have met in person before. Yep. Um, 
So you and I used to ride with the same trainer. So you were a working student for my trainer when I found her. And you were going to school at the same time in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we know each other. And then we've just stayed in touch, you know, via social media and texting and emailing and all that stuff. So I just wanted to say that. And I'm so glad to actually see your face because it's been a while. I know. I'm so happy. Um, but yeah, you moved down to LA. Gosh, it's been a while. Um, and I think you visited once a while back, but it's, it's, it's been a a hot second since we've seen each other, but we do know each other. Um, and then Jen, why don't you say how you know Natalie? I do not know Natalie in person. (laughs) I only know her from the internet. (laughs) Um, I know Natalie because I recently completed her 12-week small group session on – what exactly – I don't remember. Oh, on intuitive eating, on equestrian intuitive eating or intuitive eating with an equestrian focus. Yeah, let's go with it like that. Um, I loved it. That'll be a conversation for later in the episode where I talk about how amazing the class was. But I will preface it with it was so amazing that I begged, pleaded, and cried to do it again. <laughs> I was not ready to be re- – and now, to be fair, her the class the, – the small groups are meant for you to be able to f- fly solo afterwards. But um, I developed a very codependent relationship on being able to see Natalie and so she's addicting I'm not exactly I'm not ready to let her go (laughs) okay so you know her on like almost in a professional way you know through her profession and then I know her personally and through horses so that's that's kind of the context I wanted to give everybody um so Natalie now it's your turn to talk um because we like to talk a lot we love to talk we will dominate the conversation if we can um (laughs) So tell us about you um, professionally, like what are, what, like, how did you get into being a dietitian? Like, like what schooling do you have? What are your credentials? Kind of tell us your story, like job interview style. Tell us everything. Make us hire you. Job interview style. No. um, (laughs) um, Well, so I, um, I'm from Chicago originally, so this all started off in Chicago, but uh, I have always just been interested in food. My parents had a garden in the backyard. And so a lot of our meals included foods that were, um, you know, homemade fruits and vegetables that we incorporated into a lot of the the cooking that my family did at home. Um, And fast forwarding, um, I worked in restaurants starting at the age of 15. So uh, starting at 15 through about, I don't know, 25-ish, all through high school, undergrad and graduate school. And so I've just always um, loved food. I've always been really interested in nutrition. Um, As I started to get older um, in high school and just really uh, have a, a start to develop more of an understanding of how food impacts um, the body in terms of energy and things like that, um, that I think is where my um, interest in taking my interest and in perf- uh, my, my personal interest 
crossed to being professional. Did you know that you had to take science classes? (laughs) So that is a good question. Um, Not at first. And to be honest, when I um, was first getting into it, I thought that I just wanted to do like health and wellness blogging and just talk about, you know, what to eat in a day and all of the kind of like influencery stuff that we see today. Um, And that'll be a conversation for later too. Um, And when I took my first Nutrition 101 class, I, I, I had like enzymes being thrown at me and talking about like the molecular composition of foods. And I'm like, what is this? Like, okay, I'll get over yeah. this. And then we'll talk about like the fun stuff. And then of course it just gets more and more sciencey and I grew to absolutely love it. Um, fortunately I, I learned you can't actually be a dietitian and not enjoy science or at least, you know, in my opinion, um, so yeah, I had no idea it would involve the amount of science that it does. And so you were forced into it. I was forced into it, but now I love it. And now I geek out on nutrition science all the time and I can't get enough of it. So it worked out. All I can Perfect. think of is like Bill Nye science rules. Yep. <laughs> probably dating myself, but yeah. Um, but so I... Uh, went to undergrad in Chicago, um, completed all of my didactic work there, and then I moved to Portland um, for grad school. I did about a year-long um, supervised practice program, rotated through different units of the hospital, um, inpatient and outpatient settings, um, did some food service, uh, just really got an understanding of the different areas of nutrition that you can get into, or at least the main areas of nutrition that you can get into. Um, And that's where I also completed my master's degree in clinical nutrition, sat for the boards and um, started a private practice soon after where I dove into working with, um, with riders mainly. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. You forgot you moved to LA and oh. you have a real time job. Oh, that's right. You've got a big girl job. Oh, I, stopped I stopped at Portland because I'm seeing you, Laura. So <laughs> I know. That's where your life ends, is when you met me. I know. Um, but no, so yes. Then, um, well, I worked in a hospital in Portland for a, for the first couple of years in addition to my private practice. Um, and Briefly, my um, my master's thesis was on the ketogenic diet for pediatric patients who have epilepsy. So it was the um, medical um, like medical reason for being on the diet, um, and so I was always really interested in um, that side of nutrition too, and the impact that the ketogenic diet can have on neurological disorders. So um, when I moved to Los Angeles, um, I worked at uh, I worked I I work at UCLA now. I worked at Cedars for about a year and a half, just covering all the different units. Um, but what brought me to UCLA was the their ketogenic diet program, and um, from there I've expanded, and I'm now in their um, concussion their sports concussion program, still working with um, adolescents specifically who have epilepsy, and I'm in their headache clinic. So I've really stayed in that kind of sports nutrition, but also neurology branch of nutrition. Um, and I moved my private practice down here with me. So, um, I do that, you know, in the evenings, weekends, um, and 
I love it all. It's tons of variety and it's, I, I can't get enough of it. So, um, and, yeah. and you ride. Oh yes. And they ride. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're your true, you're a true amateur equestrian. You've got mm-hmm. a big girl job. You've got a side gig slash, you know, your own business. And then you also have to work in the horses and yep. then I don't know, regular relationships, you know, it's like, it's, yeah. you are one of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have my off-the-track thoroughbred, Stella, also known as Lawless for any Meg Dunn training people <laughs> listening out there. Um, but she, um, which I started leasing her in Portland, um, and it was literally like I chose her the day I saw her looking in the field. Meg described her, and I was like, that is my horse. So I leased her for a good, I don't know, the whole time I was in Portland, moved down here, um, wasn't able to bring Stella, ended up going back to Portland to defend my thesis, yeah. rode her. She went perfectly after <laughs> like multiple people coming to try her and her always being like a little off. And Meg was like, just take her, like, just take her. So we had a joke going that um, every time someone would come to see Stella uh, because she was for sale, because you didn't buy her when you moved, uh, Stella would somehow like be off or like take a wrong step and uh it just never worked out not that she was Aww. lame or anything but it's like you guys were meant to be because it took a while and then finally you bought her I, I remember like that whole story she you guys are meant to be together I feel the same and so now she's with me and um we're finally back to like super consistent training starting to work toward our first show again since Portland. So, um, yeah. Yeah. You took some time, you were building your career and stuff. So like that takes time. And, uh, I'm happy to see you back at it because I know you were working on dressage for a while, just kind of like doing a lot of flatting and and working Mm -hmm. on that stuff. And I know you're jumping again. I am. And I have to say that like, I was never honestly a huge fan of dressage, but I grew to really, I grew to really appreciate what it can do because I saw how well it translated into our jumping and just even riding with Meg, as you know, she focuses so much on the flat work. And so that was a natural thing for me to be like, okay, it's been, it's been a hot minute for both Stella and I, like let us both just get back to the basics, let us focus on our foundation. And then the jumping just came as if, you know, we were doing it yesterday. So, um, I'm happy with the way things worked out. Um, so fun fact, the first horse that I ever showed was Miss Stella. Really? Uh, yeah. I thought it was so, Bliss. No, it was supposed to be Bliss. So, uh, I was leasing Bliss from our trainer and, uh, we were supposed to trailer to my first ever show which was a schooling show but for me it was like everything and um he Mr. Blister um I got a text message like the Wednesday before we were supposed to show uh from my trainer saying Bliss made an adult decision and decided to try to jump the gate today I remember that and then he got stuck over the top of said gate so it was uh an adventure like they had to like excavate him off of the gate. So needless to say, he wasn't working that week. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so I remember Meg in very Meg fashion was like, well, you can ride Stella. And I was like, uh, you know, the fast one (laughs) wrote her once in a lesson. Then we went to the show and like, good God, she's amazing. Like I was pulling and pulling and pulling and she was like, girl, just wait. I'm like, it's fine. (laughs) Just hang on. But yeah. I um I I see those videos pop up in my memories every once in a while and I'm like, "Oh yeah, Stella, That's she really amazing. took care of me." I know. She's she's funny because when it comes down to it, like she I feel like since she's gotten since I've had her in more consistent work and she was also living on a hill, so she just became very strong very fast after yeah. like we rehabbed her a little bit um like after moving her out here. And so she gets like really excited. And so then you have the speed and the strength. And sometimes I'm like, you need to chill out. But when it comes down to it, like she will take care of you. And especially over jumps, like. Yeah. Living proof. Yeah. I'm still alive. nothing. Say that again, Jen. But Lil- Lily's learning to let you pull to nothing. Oh, oh, she'll let me pull to nothing all day long. <laughs> Unfortunately, I need a horse that won't let me pull to nothing. <laughs> Lily reminds me of a little, like of a younger Stella. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it. Like watching um, videos. Oh, Lily. Oh, Lily. So okay. Cute. So let's get down to business. So I want to know, we're going to talk about nutrition now because, you know, that's the episode so we let's could, talk about or, nutrition or i could throw in my serendipitous thing where <gasps> i can tell you that natalie's trainer rode joey oh, yeah. show. oh okay let's do this fun fact time <laughs> fun fact, <laughs> all right jen that's just the funniness of like the small equestrian world is that her trainer rode joey about 11 years ago in a horse show and did quite well that is funny I'll have to let him know. Get a kick out of that for sure. Yeah, let him, let him know that um that Joey is safely in my possession forever. Oh, sweet forever. Joey. See, everyone's connected in like our own little ways. It's crazy. We've got a weird uh like Bernie Traurig reaction. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little odd, but here we are. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. I know. And then you went you clinicked with him. Very yeah. recently. Yeah, we were friends. He liked he he liked my jokes, which is good. <laughs> At least someone does. So we hosted his clinic. I unfortunately could not participate um because I had to pick clinic or horse show and the decision was made. Um, but I did get to kind of watch. Um and yeah. 